0: Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right. Enjoy the episode.
1: My name is Malcolm Gladwell. Welcome to Broken Record. You've probably heard that riff before. Producer now Rogers. He's made so many of the classic hits of the last 40 years. Good Times, The Freak, Everybody Dance. He collaborated with Dinah Ross, Like a Virgin with Madonna, Get Lucky by Daft Punk. He's produced everyone. Duran Duran, Grace Jones, the Thompson Twins, Lady Gaga, for goodness sake. He's a legend. Here's what you might not know about now, Rogers. His mother was just 13 when he was born. Both his parents were drug addicts. He sniffed glue starting at age 10 and sometimes slept in flophouses. But he found salvation in music, first in a school band, then as a jazz guitarist, and finally as a partner in Chic with the great bass player Bernard Edwards. On this episode of Broken Record, now Rogers sits down with my podcast partner Bruce Hadlam at New York's Power Station Studio in Hell's Kitchen, in the very same room where he and David Bowie created the album Let's Dance
2: that's the original guitar yeah this is it you still only use one guitar
1: this is it i only use one guitar
2: do you only have one no
1: so i have about
3: 200 okay
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you have nice hollow bodied so M- mainly i have oh, really? jazz guitars yeah i'm just gonna make sure the angelico
3: Cristos, l5 super 400s
2: but this one was when did you buy that
3: 1973 wow
2: and what wasn't it wasn't an expensive one? You put on a No, it's cheap.
3: Right? I didn't actually so I traded my jazz guitar and they gave me this and three hundred dollars. Wow. So if in nineteen seventy three, imagine them giving me three hundred dollars plus a strat. Like what was a jazz guitar worth in those days? Woo. I mean, even though it's a strat, it's not like any other strat.
2: Yeah.
3: It's light as a feather, it's thinner than anything you've ever seen. It's the 19th Strat that they made in 1959. Right, look at look at the difference in just look at wow. look at the thickness of the headstock there. Yeah. Just check it out. Look at that. You can see it all the way from there.
2: Look at this. Yeah. This one. You, you've you've got big thin. hands though. You don't need a you don't need a thin. Wow. No, I got small hands. Oh, you do. Oh man,
3: Jesus! You ever see real guitar players like those <laughs> guys like Steve Vai and shit and, and Hendrix? <laughs> Like for me, when I'm when I'm playing classical guitar, I I really have to to get this stretch in certain pieces. Mm-hmm. That that's a big deal for me. Like I have my finger way down here. Most classical guitar players can still you can still see some of their thumb, but me. I... You still practice classical? Not really. There's yeah. no point. But I just did an orchestral version of "Let's Dance," and I had an idea of playing classical guitar but um, it felt better to have Bowie singing with the strings. It was amazing.
2: Oh yeah? It was unbelievable. I want to ask you about all the songs, but let's start with Let's Dance. I want you to tell me about the first time you heard the song. Yeah, um, the the very first time David played Let's
3: Dance for me, uh, he walked into my bedroom. We were in Switzerland and I believe that he had said he had just written it the night before. And he um, walked into the studio and he played something. Um, something that sounded like that. And it was like, like and I was like, mm, that, that was, um, and he was into it. <laughs> um, and um, he
2: had the lyrics as well.
3: Well, he just, he, he was singing very, um, true to it like he knew what it was he was singing um, it's almost hard for me to do it um uh, what was he doing no i did that uh ah that's what he's, doing. he's going
2: Let, let's dance
3: songs on the radio let's dance something like Don't up your face. And then I asked him if I could do an arrangement. Uh, so I fooled around with it, and I was going... And I knew that he liked jazz, so I could put in the jazzy chord, and I could tell that he would like it right away. But then when I moved it from A minor up to B flat, it actually had a different vibe. It got It got brighter and like and funkier sounding. So I started going... You can already hear it, like... "Mm." Oh, and by the way, when I started playing it, I only imitated his just for a few bars. I started going... But that still sounded dark. So then I moved it up an octave and I went... because of the whole Disco Sucks back backlash, I didn't want to do chucking on David Bowie's album, so. Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, you ended up slowing it down after that. Um, yeah,
3: and only playing. Like, so if you hear the demo that I did in Switzerland, I'm chucking, I'm actually playing, you know. When you hear the original demo, I'm, I'm doing the Nile mm-hmm. Rodgers thing. But when we got to America, I made a conscious decision not to do that and had the horns sort of doubling me and giving it some punch. And when Bowie and I walked into the studio, um, Bob Clearmountain was getting the different uh, delays that he was gonna use on the various instruments, on the drums. So we wound up having a multi-tap delay happening on the guitar. So even though all I played was
2: the rhythm that you hear winds up sounding something like Now, Let's Dance has many fans. It has one very famous fan who always wanted to play with you. Um, Oh my God, Prince. Is that that who you're talking about? That's who I'm talking about. Oh my God.
3: Yeah, so um, for years, I mean, I can't even tell you how many years, maybe uh, since the first time I met Prince, um, he had asked me to play Let's Dance live together somewhere. So we had played live together in London at a little club in Camden. And we did not play Let's Dance that night. I'm I'm positive of that. We played a bunch of James Brown songs and um, maybe the Ohio Players and some funk songs. Uh, When I walked into the club, he was playing with Ron Wood. And I don't know what they were playing. I don't remember. I was really pretty high in those days but they were probably playing a blues or jamming on a popular rock song, Sunshine of Your Love or something like that. And then when I walked in, Prince said, Whoa, now Rogers, now this man has the funk. And he gave me his guitar and he sat down on the keyboards and we just jammed for like, I don't even know how long, but that felt like one of the most amazing nights of my life. And I remember, uh, calling the concierge at my hotel and asking him if they had purple roses. <laughs> I didn't know if there was a, if there was anything as a purple rose, if they existed. So I said, figure out a way to make them purple, either spray paint them or put food coloring in them and send, them. I don't know, I was pretty absurd in those days. I may have sent like a hundred purple roses to Prince's room. Nice. That's <laughs> crazy. But you ended up playing the song. Uh, yeah, eventually, so... Years later, he tricked me a couple of times. Um, we both were living sort of in Turks and Caicos uh, a bit. He bought a house down there, and I uh, was part of a, a resort project. And um, and one New Year's Eve we played, and oh, it was cool. And John Bon Jovi came when John got his start here. Uh, so John Bon Jovi and Prince came to the show, and Prince said to me, "Oh, wow! Tonight is the night now. I'll get to play. Let's dance with you in the band." So we set up the, you know, set up his amp and everything, did the whole sound check. We're ready for Prince to come out and play. New Year's Eve, the place is crowded. Everybody's having a good time. And uh, we're doing our thing, and I get into the middle of the set, and I say, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest coming out tonight. I think you're gonna love this. Uh, Prince, and I introduce him. And the band, we're just standing there and no Prince. He doesn't come out. <laughs> and I keep introducing him. I go, uh, Prince. I, I don't know if I start screaming, Prince. Because <laughs> I knew he was there. And someone told me that he actually ran and hid because he wouldn't come out. So after a while, we just said to hell with him. We played the song. And then at the end of the night, I didn't even ask him. Maybe I asked him why he didn't come out or something. I don't even remember. but. We wound up playing. It was great. Everybody had a good time, but I was embarrassed as hell. So now fast forward a year or two later, and we're playing a show with him at the uh, Superdome in Louisiana, in New Orleans. And he told us that he was going to come out. Now we're in front of like 70,000 people (laughs) and I'm not going to be this idiot and make the same mistake again. And Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest for you tonight, Prince. And then he doesn't come out, and I'm standing in front of <laughs> seventy thousand people, and he doesn't come out. At least at the resort, there was only about two hundred, so I didn't, I didn't introduce him, even though he, we went through the same steps. We did sound check. He had his amp there and the whole bit. So uh, when we get to the part of the song where Ralph tells the whole crowd to jump, 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 I'm, I'm standing on the stage and I'm jumping up and down, and then I hear this crowd like give this loud roar. And I look <laughs> to my left, and there's Prince jumping with me, jumping up and holding his hand up in the air, and the crowd freaks out. And then we go into the next bit, and he takes over and starts soloing, and it's just killing. It's so good. So he did a little bit of like the sort of Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of thing, but then he went into like just chucking with me, and that's when it got nuts. And you can go online and see it. It's on
1: YouTube. It's so great. More of Bruce and Nile Rodgers
2: And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com now.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
1: We're back with Bruce Hedlam, now Rogers, and Sheik.
2: Now, I looked up, and this is for the music nerds out there, I looked up the chords to Everybody Dance. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, a C minor 7th. Yes. Yeah. Uh, B flat 11. A B flat 11. I should let you tell the chords. You know the chords better yeah. than I do. C minor 7, B flat 11 to C 11.
3: A flat major 7. Now, this chord, you can spell it a number of ways. I... Like to think of it as A minor seven with a raise five or A A minor A minor seven flat thirteen, uh, but most people would probably call it a D minor eleven with an A in the bass um, to a B flat eleven. Okay, okay. Uh, and the reason for that is because okay. um, I wanted to have this chromatic movement. So.
2: Okay, you're a serious jazz guy. Yeah. Nobody else would do it that way. No, I don't. Think do, you, so. do you do you do you do all your songs that way? Do the, is it that kind of chording? I like to think so. I mean, look at Let's Dance. How cool that
3: is. I mean, that's um that I guess that's somewhat of a trademark of mine putting different types of jazzy chords and cool voicings
2: um in pop songs. You know, look at Diana Ross. Mm-hmm. I'm coming out and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also, was everybody dance the first time you used a breakdown in a song? Um, no. Uh, breakdowns were actually quite common
3: in in our live shows. Um, it was just the first time I did it when I was recording and I was the boss. Right. Every other time that I recorded, I was not the boss. So I mm-hmm. didn't have any control over what they did. Yeah.
2: And was that from jazz, like breaking it down like that, having nah, kind of rebuilding nah, it? Nah, and it's just an R&B
3: done? thing. It's an it's a R&B disco thing. It's a common R&B move. You would hear a lot of R&B bands break down and go, now I want to talk to the ladies for a minute. Or I want to talk to you. Or like mm-hmm. Earth, Wind & Fire, when you hear them say, Pop, I want to talk to you about things I see every day. you know, And they break right. down on the record. On, yeah.
2: um, uh, it's all about love. Mm-hmm. So it was very common in R&B to do that. I want to talk a bit about good times. You said in an interview once that all your songs are nonfiction. Absolutely, and they're often about things that you want to see happen. Can you tell me what what good times? Yeah. Means? So,
3: so um, when we wrote "Good Times," um, in America at the time, we were in the midst of the greatest uh, financial recession since the Great Depression. We had gas rationing. You know, I mean, if you lived in um new york state i remember if your license plate ended with an even number you can get gas on a certain day or an odd number it'd be a different day um so times were sort of hard and we thought well what other period in american history seemed to feel like that and we went wow you know <laughs> the roaring 20s and the you know the the Great Depression and that sort of jazz era and the whole thing about dance marathons. And that's why we came up with the whole Yowza Yowza thing on Dance Dance Dance. So the whole concept of the first few Chic albums was all jazz era stuff. And uh, on Risqué, when we finally did Good Times, we were confident enough in our band to now sort of expose our formula to the world. So the lyrics to Good Times were Sort of ripped off from Al Jolson and the song um, that they used to sing after um, Prohibition when they were happy days are here again. Not right about. Mm-hmm. And then the, the stars are gonna twinkle time, evening about a quarter to nine. So we go right. That was cool. We start
2: right with it. So we are obvious. Good times came out at a particular political time because the Disco Sucks movement had come, they'd had the the riot in Chicago. Yeah, Um, summer of 79. What did that feel like for you?
3: Well, it was really interesting because it it was sort of like uh, a biphasic kind of feeling because when we found out about it, we were on an airplane flying from Europe back to America. So it happened while we were away and We didn't think of ourselves as a disco band. I mean, listen to every chic album. We have ballads, everyone has an instrumental. There's always a jazzy, you know, type of thing. The Diana Ross album is incredibly, as far as a composer is concerned, I got to say that that's really unique. There's nothing I've ever written that sounds like that before or after. That was purely written for Diana Ross. I mean, you listen to a song like I'm Coming Out, and I mean, I have a fanfare in there. I mean, we're when we first saw Diana Ross, Bernard walked with me and said, wow, look at that. She's like our black queen. So I kept that in my head. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote that fanfare, uh, I said to Diana, I said, look, you know, when the president of the United States walk, walks in the room, they go, da, 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 hail to the chief. I said, this is your fanfare. <laughs> and I told her, I says you will never start a show without this song ever, the rest of your life. And, now we see 35 years later, I was right. She okay. never starts this show without playing I'm Coming Out. That's the beginning of her show.
2: Although one, one of your most famous songs, La uh, Freak," is actually about being rejected at a disco. Correct. Uh, can you tell that story quickly? Yeah,
3: so our first song, Everybody Dance, was the real sort of super cool club song um, on our first album. Even though Dance 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 was popular and was big on the radio and was platinum, 12-inch. I mean, it was huge. It was Everybody Dance that really secured our vibe as a cool, hip, underground dance group. And so Grace Jones had heard Everybody Dance and she was a fan of that song. And she was thinking about having these two young, new producers do what would then be her next album. Uh, She said that the only way we could truly understand her uh, artistically is to see her live show, then we really would understand who Grace Jones is. But the problem was we had only spoken to her that one time. We never met her, we were on the phone. So Grace has a very unique accent. She's the only one on earth that sounds like that. And she says, so darling, you, you go to the back door and you tell them your personal friends of Miss Grace Jones and they will let you in. So we did that with that accent and the guy slams the door in our faces. And while he's slamming the door, he's going, oh, oh fuck off. And we said, no, 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 no. we kick in kicking the door again because now we had to be above the level of the music. Now, once we finally got his attention, so we wanted to get him before he walked away from the door. So we kicked really hard. And he said, you know, he reiterated what he had said. I told you to F off. So we knew we weren't going to get in. It was New Year's Eve, 77 going into 78 and uh we were walking back to my apartment which is on 52nd street between 8th and 9th and to get there we had to pass a liquor store so we bought two bottles of Dom perignon which in those days we called it rock and roll mouthwash we bought two bottles of, of dp and went to my house and we downed them so fast we got really lightheaded and we turned his rejection phrase f off into freak out we went Well, when we first wrote it, we wrote a whole song using the original lyric and thinking of uh, every situation where the appropriate response would be, fuck off. So we're playing, if a cab driver cuts you off, don't fuck off, and I remember saying, if your mother asks you to do homework, fuck off. And we were into it, we were laughing, feeling great. And then finally, my partner Bernard says, my man, you know this is happening. And I'm like, oh, Bernard, you know, this is two years before hip hop. We can't get, you know, a record on the radio that's got the F-bomb in it. But uh, somehow we wound up uh, with Freak Out.
1: We'll have more of Bruce and Now Rogers after this break. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music. The strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the Nasdaq, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is marketmessage2024.com. That's marketmessage2024.com. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com
4: slash now. Snag a Job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. So visit snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
1: We're back with Bruce Headlam, Now Rogers, and Sheik.
2: Uh, you mentioned that you and Bernard didn't see yourselves as stars, as frontmen, and you saw Sheik very much as this organization. Yes. You've built this incredible career. You've had hits literally in every decade since you started um, by being this great collaborator. Why does collaboration seem to mean more to you than being the front man? Because as a composer,
3: I write for ensembles. That's what I hear. The only time I could ever think of writing a composition that was actually recorded and performed for either a soloist a solo instrument or maybe a duet. It's just for films. Like in Coming to America, I write this cue where they go, the royal penis is clean, your highness. And it's just like a pan flute, <laughs> <laughs> you know, pan flute and harp. Right. Um, and then uh, in the movie called Soup for One, I do this thing called Tavern on the Green. And it's just uh, me playing classical guitar along with um, a Yamaha. CS80 synthesizer mm-hmm. uh, with my keyboard player. But those are the only duets that I've ever really recorded. Everything else is for
2: a bunch a room full of people. But in your, your autobiography, which I'm going to recommend to everybody because it's it really is this incredible life story and it is if sort of James Baldwin and Charles Dickens <laughs> wrote a book together, <laughs> Thank it, you. It, it may start to approach your you know you had a very uh, you come back to this, a very lonely life. Yeah, uh, you were around uh, your parents and your stepfather and your mother, whom you loved dearly, but who would send you on bus rides across the country by yourself. Right. Who often left you alone. And they that, were heroin addicts. I mean, they, they were. They, they, yeah. they were in pursuit of their number mm-hmm. one love. In a way. Uh, and when when someone first tuned your guitar and you played, I think a day. In a day in the life, life, right? And you thought, I'm going to be. Were you thinking, I want to be a star? I want to be up on stage? No,
3: no, 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 no. no. Um, um, Prior to that, I had only really played classical music. So I just wanted to be part of a symphony orchestra. I used to play the clarinet, which is funny now, because if I tried to play the clarinet, it would probably sound hysterical. But uh, my dream when I was a kid was to be a part of... And maybe that's what it's all about, because I've always wanted to be part of an orchestra, to be part of an organization. Mm-hmm. and uh, Because in a big symphony orchestra, basically you could hide, but you know, every now and then you might get a great solo. You know, right so that was sort of my dream growing up i wanted to emulate my biological father who was always just a percussionist with
2: bands he was never like the guy out front like tito puente or something Mm -hmm. uh but you like that sense of anonymity yeah because it was the way that i
3: i never felt attractive or anything like that um and when you looked at stars stars were always like you know they walk into the room. You know, and you go, I remember I used to walk into a club with Madonna. Now I'm born in New York, knew every club owner in town, and I'd walk into a club with Madonna and she was relatively unknown and people would go, Hey, who's that girl with now? Who's that girl? You hear a din, like, Who's that girl? Who's that girl with now? Who's that girl? Um, and she was unknown, but that's because she was a star. She felt like a star from the moment you met her. She, you know, they just have that thing, Bowie. It's a star. You mm-hmm. walk in the room and like, wow. They just, you know, you could feel it. So I knew I never. It's funny. I always laugh. I say, you know, if I walk into a room with Lady Gaga, people go, "Oh my God, there's Lady Gaga!" And they go, "Wow, Gaga!" And they go, "Hey Nile."
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, you want to be the Hey Nile guy. I like hey. being Hey Nile. So like I've done,
3: you know, maybe almost like, uh, I mean, I heard the other day they said like fifteen thousand eight hundred and fifty-eight recordings, something insane. Uh, but still, I walk in the room and go, Hey, no how you doing? Hey, man, how you doing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, think I think... I think Fran might beat me up if you guys go any farther. Then we're not <laughs> going to go any farther. Um, and I would stay here all day. We only have one more song to talk about. that, staff Punk, but I think we're okay. All right. That was... whoops, Unplugged. That was just fantastic. Uh, thank you, Listen bro. to you all day.
1: Broken Record is produced by Mia Lobel and Jason Gambrell, with help from Bruce Headlam, Chiquita Pasquale, Jacob Smith, Julia Barton, Justin Richmond, Jacob Weisberg, and of course, El Jefe, Rick Rubin. To hear all of the songs featured in today's episode, check out BrokenRecordPodcast.com. This show is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. I'm Malcolm Gabbard. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music, the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaykin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the Nasdaq, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is Market message 2024com That's marketmessage2024.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com unconventional unconventionalawards. See you there. Museora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100